hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with the stand-up comedian, Aideen McQueen. So hey, Aideen, thanks for chatting with me today. No problem at all. Thank you for having me on the show. No worries. So usually I like to start off by going back in time and talking a little bit about comedians' childhood, a side that we wouldn't necessarily know very much about. You know, people we, we see there making us laugh every day. You don't know too much about people's childhood. So uh, what were you like as a kid? Were you were you fairly outgoing? I was really shy one-on-one, but I was really good with an audience, good at the group, good at singing in front of people, good at saying prayers, good at doing plays. I liked the group. I, I wasn't great one-on-one. I wasn't good at small talk, but I was good at doing stuff on stage and the likes of that. Um, so I had my friends, but I wasn't... I, I was really nervous, especially in my early teens, uh, to late teens, really, of having any one-on-one conversations with people. I just didn't know how to do it. I would look at people talking and think, how are they doing it? And they'd be talking about, you know, watching Home and Away. So I used to watch Home and Away, even though I didn't like it, to have something to talk to people about. Um, I found it really hard. And now it's funny that I think about that because I am I find it really easy now. I really like talking to people one-on-one. You know, everybody has the odd person that makes them feel a bit uncomfortable or that they can't quite gel with that they find hard work but in general I'm good at it so I was also re- I, I was the oldest of three I've got two younger sisters really close in age and I was always trying to make them laugh I was always doing little shows for them and me and my other sister used to do little shows get dressed up and you know usual kiddie stuff that a lot of children do I loved all of that so a lot of my games were these kind of imaginary characters and the likes of that so I was always playing always playing around with stuff the performer was always there yeah definitely I remember one of my earliest memories was we went to see the school play and it was before I was in school I was three but my dad is big into the Irish language and he was supporting the school which I would go to eventually and we went to this they did a little performance I was like I really wanted to go up on stage I was like I need to do this so I remember at the break I remember thinking this is wrong but I just ran up onto the stage and just sat there like nothing really to offer but I was like yeah, this is where I need to be. So I was always a bit of an arsehole, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, what, what did your parents do? What kind of what lines of work were My they? parents were both teachers. My dad taught Irish and history and my mother taught French and English. Solid, respectable people in the small town in which we grew up. You know, not very religious people, very um, God-fearing and good living and kind people. They weren't into, they hated me doing comedy for years. They thought it was mental. You know, I gave up, I became a primary school teacher and I gave up my pensionable permanent job to go and do this. <laughs> still, my mother is still, it's scary. And they don't come and see my shows or anything like that. And I don't want them to. <laughs> oh my God. No, they, I don't want them to because I, I, they just, they wouldn't get it. It's not for them. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, comedy can be a very generational thing as well. Yeah, can. I mean, I don't, I didn't go into my mother's French class, look in the window and watch her teeth, <laughs> A-levels French, or I didn't go and do things like that. So, yeah, but there's, they, 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 my, they be, my mother, not really, she's not really an entertainer, but my dad is pretty good at doing speeches and writing things. And my sister got married and he did, like, he totally did a roast on her for his, for his speech. Um, it was really, it was really funny. Um, and I mean, he, he forgot the groom's name twice. That was hilarious, but not deliberate. I thought that was genius comedy. Like it was getting, he was getting loads of claps. 
Um, so he has that in him as well, I suppose. And he always fostered in us a love of like performing and the likes of that. Uh, so I mean, obviously that you know you were you were meant you're meant to go into the the teaching profession. So how many years did you teach for? Ten. <laughs> long enough. Long enough. Not long enough, and I still do a teaching online. So I, I I'm not totally out of it. It's great. I can do it online. So it could be in a hotel in Liverpool and a travel lodge in Birmingham, and I'm teaching a class. So I don't teach primary schools. I teach adults mostly. So I still got that or in the water, but I haven't been in a classroom in. Three and a half years, I'd say. Yeah. So, I mean, what do the, the people that you're teaching, do they know what you what you do as, as a career? No, I don't encourage them to know. Um, but the odd time you get found out. So, for instance, I did a, I was on somebody else's Patreon, Dave McSavage, who's an Irish comedian. He's really good. Filthy stuff. Like, you know, loads of complaints to the TV authorities and the ombudsman whenever he's on TV. And... He has a, he's built up a big thing on Instagram and somebody I was talking about, like he just asked the most outrageous questions. I think I was talking about porn or something. I was even like, why am I talking about this? this like, well, it's only for his his Patreon people. Oh, it's only for whatever his small select people, right people that pay. And then somebody pipes up, oh, that that woman was my te- my Irish teacher. Last <laughs> So, yeah, some, I mean, I've met past pupils a few times at gigs. You know, somebody that you taught when they're 12, they come to your gig at 18. It's funny. So, yeah, things like that happen. I mean, another time in England, I was in a school and Julian Dean, who's a really good comedian, used to go out with one of the teaching assistants in my school and she just put it all together, like with Facebook. And she was like, you're a comedian and got me. So we, she, we brought her to gigs. So it eventually gets found out. A lot of lot of comedians though were teachers in a past life, weren't you? They weren't they like you know? Yeah, Fred, yeah, Fred yeah. Davis is a prime example. I think a lot, but I think the most common one is probably engineer, computer, something with maths is actually way more common because there are people who can see like civil engineers of any any kind of engineer, IT, maths people who see a formula can write a joke and see the structure, mm. and they they can be really good as well, but um, probably better than teachers. I suppose teachers have the confidence thing down, but might necessarily have the jokes. <laughs> That's the thing, you're standing up and performing, you know, yeah, well, in, in some sort yeah. of way. Yeah, but you can't tell, laugh, audience, laugh. I'm going to give you detention. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, but there are, there's a, definitely been a few, all right. Yeah, for sure. Probably more represented than most professions. Yeah, I mean, even, so, I suppose, Dara Breen and his physics, physics background. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a good few I can think of um, that that were in yeah that would have studied maths or things like that. Yeah, mm. Gary Delaney I think did maths and economics, and he's you know so good at one-liners. So it's all that structure. Yeah, yeah. It's so I mean, what, how did the how did you go from being a you know standing in front of a class of kids to uh, you know standing in in on a stage in a in a comedy club? How did it how did it all begin? Well. I became friends with a comedian called Eleanor Tiernan. I don't know if you've come across her. She's really good. She's over in the UK now. And she thought, she said, oh, you should do stand-up. And I thought, oh, God, I can't do <laughs> I really, I've always really wanted to do it. Yeah. Because I grew up in a town called Kilkenny. And they have, a, it's in Ireland, the southeast. And they have a festival called, called the Cat's Laugh Comedy Festival. It used to be the biggest comedy festival in Ireland. And... 
what happened was I used to volunteer for that as a teenager and me and my sisters used to be running around putting out chairs this is back in the day when like 13 year olds were allowed to be in a bar it was fine <laughs> and they so we would be like getting doing weird stuff like getting a drunk comedian out of a bar getting um our little and apple like just you know random stuff but you got in exchange for being a volunteer you got to see like some of the most amazing comedians so mm. at 14 and 15 I was seeing Dylan Moore in live Bill Bailey you know I remember Louis CK coming in 2005 and nobody liked him they just didn't get it um so you know some really amazing acts Noel Fielding just and the fantastic Irish acts as well and you know when you see stand-up comedy first you think this is magic these people have me in the palm of their hands they're just making this up all as they go along and then if you're working in the same venue three, four nights in a row and you're like, okay, Darby, he did ad lib a bit, but he's keeping to his core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so naive. I can't believe I used to think. <laughs> like, what do you think about television these days? Oh, <laughs> you know. Um, so that planted the seed of love of comedy in me. And then when I met this comedian, Eleanor, she said, do an open mic, gave me somebody's number. I had six weeks to prepare. Oh I would absolutely because there's comedians who come into comedy I think there's a few different types of comedians there's comedians who come into comedy because people are always telling them they're funny and they like making jokes and they're like the funny storyteller in the bar but they're not necessarily good at joke writing yeah yeah and then there's comedians who are amazing joke writers and they they see the patterns and they're good but they mightn't be good at delivering it I mean ideally you can have the combination of both so I was one of the comedians that was like the good crack girl in the pub, you know, oh, you're so funny. Thank you. Um, I didn't have any material. I didn't know how to write a joke. I couldn't really see the wood from the trees. I don't know what I did. I was so nervous before my first gig. Um, and Ireland is so small that I went in and the MC was a father of one of my students. <laughs> like, oh, teacher. Are you here for the comedy? And I was like, um, I am the comedy. Now, it was a bit crap, but subsequently he's seen me do really good gigs, so it's fine. But I remember for years thinking, oh, my God, I really want to prove to him that I'm better than, than, than what I was then. And I was so nervous. I was down on my knees in the toilet, praying. Like, I'm totally lapsed Catholic, but I was Catholic in that moment. <laughs> I was in here, and then the the man. No, and I was, yeah, I was, I was so nervous. Really dressed up, like, at a pad of bra, and I remember, like, more material than my bra than my jokes. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> And I was almost like, I can't remember, it's like I blacked out as if I drank too much or something, but it was just nerves. Yeah. But it was, there was like a Twitter of a hint of a tint of laughter and it was enough to keep me going and going and going. And bit by bit by bit, you know, maybe within a year I started getting paid gigs in some of the clubs. Then I was starting to go to England a bit, explore that, doing weekends here and there, building it up. And just before COVID, then I moved to England which is a terrible idea but <laughs> they ended up being and I didn't I didn't really want to teach again so I yeah. became a care assistant and did I know I did online teaching and did a bit of care assistant work during COVID and did the online gigs so now I'm back to a bit of teaching do a few other bits and bobs as well whenever I get offered it if you know what I mean yeah and really worry more dodgy than it was but writing <laughs> stuff like that. a bit of script writing uh, especially since I speak Irish Gaelic that's mm. a good outlet too yeah so yeah that, that's how I got it just bit by bit by bit by bit I would say don't give up your job until you can't 
physically until you're exhausted you can't physically do it anymore because you just don't know when you'll need your job and also having a normal job gives you a life outside that you can write about you know if I'm just going oh you know don't you hate it when you get up at 11 o'clock having done a gig (laughs) and four hours home from Manchester and then you've eaten nothing but Nando you know nothing but stewed from the services and then you're in a car share with a comedian you don't know uh, you know it's not relatable so it's good to have the the, the nine to five stuff as well but once it gets too much yeah go try to like I think a lot of people quit thinking if I quit I'll be able to concentrate in comedy and then I'll become professional but I don't know how how often that's worked to me if it works for you good for you but it, didn't, it wouldn't work for me <laughs> that's the thing even during lockdown you know lockdown must have been so hard for people that were doing comedy full-time I know I, was, I spoke to Ardell a few months ago and it was just you know it was so kind of what do I what do I what do I do <laughs> you know yeah because everyone had COVID material including myself but I don't think I'd had anything that was so original that hadn't been thought of so now now the COVID material it's like it never happened some yeah. people are doing it still and I'm like oh my god that sounds like 10 20 years ago you know it's already getting a bit dated masks and the likes Although it's still relatively new. Mm. Well, come on, come on, we're on to monkeypox now, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they reckon it's all going to come back over Christmas, don't they? So, no <laughs> way. Okay, I didn't know that. Now. I'm sure Rishi will save us from the COVID. It'll be fine. I mean, that's if that's not like material for it's it's literally just the situation in the UK at the moment is just you know <laughs> you couldn't yeah. make it you couldn't make it up. No, it's very bad really isn't it luckily I'm in Ireland today <laughs> all week actually so yeah my mother was telling me asking me about Rishi because we don't follow English politics to the same extent that you might think in Ireland yeah yeah our own country but um like she yeah so it would be on the news about this trust and everything and Boris Johnson of course is I mean, everybody would probably know who the Irish uh, the English prime minister is but she was asking about Rishi and then she's like, he looks very clean cut. She really liked him. And then she discovered he was five foot eight. So she didn't like him as much. I'm like, you're not having sex with him. You're just, she's really heightened to my mother. You know, she was really disappointed that he was five foot eight. And then, but then she really liked his speech, but then she was really disappointed that he was wearing 400 pound shoes. <laughs> 400 pound Gucci, Gucci loafers. Can you imagine? I'm like, He's a multi, 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 he's one of the richest men in the UK. Yeah. I think 400 is actually cheap. <laughs> I'm wearing gold shoes, solid gold shoes made out of whatever is the highest carat of gold. So I'm uncomfortable to walk in, but ostentation. I was like, for I, I've, I've spent 400 quid on shoes once or twice in my life. You know, she's always watching, like, then she told me about Kate Middleton's shopping and deals. I'm like, you've made that up. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm in Dublin too. But I mean, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? How a lot of news doesn't travel between. No, it is. Yeah. And I find sometimes I do a joke about English politics in Ireland and it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only if you go looking for, looking for things. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm in England a lot, so I do follow everything. And I, I listen to Radio 4 and I listen to RT1. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't totally follow. And then again, you, unless you really look for it, you're not going to get Irish news in England. It has mm. to really stand out before it makes the the headlines. Yeah. So well, usually, usually, if I go home, I'll ask, I'll talk to the taxi driver when I come back, and it can happen. To, you know, while I'm, while yeah. I'm 
that's a good idea actually and they're they all too happy to tell you about yeah, they're, they're too happy to tell you and they're constantly listening to the radio constantly oh, yeah. very yeah. well up all the shootings and stabbings and you know all exactly that kind of yeah <laughs> so i mean like as a, a female performer i mean i suppose female performers are getting a lot more there's, there seems to be a lot more female performers these days than you know there were back in the day do you think that it's easier for for women in today's society um, on the comedy uh, stage? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, when, when I started... Now, I think it's always been good to be a woman in comedy because when I started, I would say 10% of comedians were women. That's the statistic. That yeah, yeah, said. yeah. And, you know, if you're doing a gig, a professional gig will have four acts and MC and three comedians, they'll always want one to be a woman. Mm. So ten percent of people are competing for twenty five percent of the gigs. So you're keeping you're you're on a much better foot if you're a woman, definitely. So even though it, what's hard for women is that I think the big problem is that there's okay there's two things. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really rolling back. Women tend to be funnier in character acts, or they tend to be funnier in writing funny journalism, or you know writing um you know opinion pieces or writing funny books and for stand-up you have to be really full of testosterone and really ham the joke home right mm. and that's the thing i associate with m- m- males to the larger degree so women tend to do more you know the, the punchlines won't be as punched in yeah, yeah 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 like that and that's i i don't particularly want somebody to be stabbing me with their jokes but uh, you know, you do develop over time a bit more of that stabbiness in your delivery because it works. The other thing is that women are more empathetic than men. So if a man goes on stage and he's like, oh, you know, I got kicked in the in the ghoulies and it was so sore. I don't know. That's a terrible material. But he made a joke about getting kicked in the testicles. Women would laugh. And, oh, God, <laughs> I can only imagine. But if I went up on stage and got, yeah, I got kicked in the vag, <laughs> men would not laugh. Men would not. They'd be like, oh, we don't want to hear about that. They're not empathetic. So they don't put that. And it's not just sexual stuff. It's just they don't. Like, we can imagine what it's like for a man to, to, to be disappointed with stuff. But they, I don't think. And this is a massive generalization. Yeah, and yeah. huge diversities in, you know, what is a man, what is a woman, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it, this kind of the masculine energy would generally be like once they hear something about women or women's things, they 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 can't relate, you know. Hmm. I mean, even my partner, I was like um, to him, you know, they don't their imagination doesn't go there. Like I asked my partner, can you get me an ankle boot? My ankle boots from the room. You're if you're going up to the room, and he was like, uh, uh, um, what are ankle boots? <laughs> And I was like, okay, right, I have literally only got four pairs of shoes that aren't trainers. Um, just they're the ones that stop at the young. You know, he could not make that leap. You know, and then afterwards he was like, God, yeah, I'm so thick. But, you know, like, it's just that they, the, the folk, men focus on man stuff and then they tend to wash out a little bit when women are talking about women's stuff, I think. Mm. So that won't contribute. That'll make it a little bit harder. And what would be the other factor in that as well? And then the other factor is men are mental. <laughs> so if you go down to like somewhere like up the creek where they do a gong show, 
there'll yeah. be 13 comedians there'll be one woman and there'll be 12 men because men will be happily go out every night doing an open mic doing two open mics not ruining their career putting their chances of having a family down um you know their social life is gone not promote getting promotion work because they're so dedicated to comedy once they find this thing they have this drive whereas women are sensible and they're not going to be going out every night of the week and had I not started going out as a male comedian early on in my comedy career, I would have probably just faded away from doing comedy at the open mic stage because he was so driven, so focused. He was emailing people all the time. He was looking for gigs to chase, 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 mm. chase, chase. And on the surface, he was very casual, but underneath, you know, yeah, yeah, Juan's legs were flapping. Wow. So had I not seen that, had I not been modeled to me, Mm. very primary school teacher talk sorry <laughs> I would have not realized the kind of psychotic amount of effort you have to put into it yeah and oh, yeah so I think that's my um hot take on it yeah. so you get there's a, there's you get more gigs for you know I know for a fact that I got bumped up into professional level ahead of people men who were just as good as me because I was a woman Wow. But again, it adds to yeah. the show because if you have four guys, it can be boring, and women are in the audience as well, mm. so it does add to the show. But you have to be good. If you, some people get bumped up, and other people are like, "Oh, they're only there because they're a woman, or they're only there because they're gay, or they're only there because of their ethnicity." Yeah. yeah. But they can only do that for a few gigs, and then otherwise they get pulled down again, and it'll take them ages to go up again. So it's not unless you're able for it, it's not fair on the person because it's stunting their growth really because people say well we gave her a chance and she wasn't good on the tv panel show and now we're not going to give her a chance for another while so it's yeah it's it's a hot button topic as they say mm, yeah no it's kind of crazy now, i saw you in the international uh a few weeks ago oh, with, yeah. with uh, sharon mannion the wonderful sharon mannion Yay, she's and uh, i just love how animated you are as a performer I am very animated. This is me and my <laughs> I just I woke up at six o'clock this morning, having gone to bed probably at half twelve, quarter to one. Um to get to so that's why I'm a little I'm not well yeah, I'm, I'm animated. Yeah. So I mean you like looking at your C V now, you've put, performed along the alongside the likes of, you know, Ardell, Dylan Moran, Frankie Boyle. Um I mean it must be crazy performing alongside these guys you know you were talking about art getting idle an apple earlier yeah so crazy seeing you know seeing them as a teenager just seeing them as a teenager is crazy I suppose once you get to gigging with them it's not as crazy especially if they're nice and they kind of just treat you like they're just people (laughs) yeah they're just people um Ardell Hannon is very nice he's laid back and then if he has one or two drinks in him I don't think he drinks very much at all he turns into Father Dougal he's just giggling (laughs) And yeah, he's lovely. Um, and then Dylan Moran was amazing. I, I loved hanging around with him. He was so like, you know, there's a lot of comedians who will talk to you, but their eyes are darting over, you know, between yeah. You, yeah. ear to ear to see if they can see anybody more famous, more useful, more beautiful wow. or more helpful than you. And it's really disconcerting. Not Dylan Moran. He will talk to the from the, you know, he doesn't care as if he's interested in somebody, if he wants to ask him something, he hmm. will be like, open mic who just snuck into the venue and has been doing comedy two wet weeks or the, the, the main manager of the festival he doesn't mind and he will just sit and listen and talk to people and he just he's, he's very interested in people I was really struck by that 
you know, that, and that's obviously why he's such a good observational comic because he's actually observing. You know, he's still observing. He's still listening to people. He's still talking yeah. to people. Yeah. yeah. So he's probably even more interested in the open micros and the lower down the, the ranks people than he would be in people of his of his ranking. Mm. So that would yeah, be, yeah. Nice. be great to learn for, you, you know, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. that you're, you're, everyone is still learning. You're still learning your craft always still on learning. a daily yeah. basis. But, you know, it must be great to yeah like you i'm know, get feedback I'm and stuff from these guys and then dylan moran is like learning from Guthe or someone you know <laughs> like he's on a totally different plane um yeah so you do you see things like that and you see yeah you definitely um and certain comedians will give feedback carl spain is great he'll always he can't help yeah, himself he's a really good joke and same with colin o'regan he wrote one of my best jokes just like that um for years i used to use it so yeah, some of them they'll be really good to pitch in with stuff and likes that. Mm -hmm. That's the thing; it's not a competitive. You, you you kind of imagine it being very competitive. It but... is at the open mic level because people are all, and a lot of people start off doing similar type of material. Yeah. But once you get to a professional gig, but mm. so the higher up it goes, you're going to be on. They picked you because you're different from the other acts. Yeah, yeah. So you, if I'm on, say with. Like if I'm on with Kevin McAleer, who's real deadpan, it's me who's kind of like, you know, talks about relationships and sex and womany stuff. And then Jason Byrne, who's really physical. And I don't know, Danny O'Brien, who's a real laddie guy. Yeah. They won't. You're never you're not going to be like, it'd be really weird if one of you had something similar. Be, you know, everybody wants the show to go well. It's, you're not competing you know so you know you want the host to do well because i mean they'll laugh with you and yeah so it's all it's it's like reaganomics for laughter you know the tide rises uh the boat the tide rises all ships you know or something like that i messed up that analogy but yeah <laughs> if you want there wouldn't be competitiveness i don't think i'm sure there it depends on the individual as well hmm. that's the thing about open mic nights isn't it you want everyone to be to be different you don't want to be just seeing it hearing the same kind of as you yeah. said testosterone fueled yeah a lot kind of, of like 25 year old boys in t-shirts <laughs> talking about wanking um, <laughs> you know or they they or sometimes I did I haven't done an open really open mic in a while but three weeks ago I did I was headlining one it was Tuesday night it was 25 quid and I thought I'd try some new material and it was so it was interesting because it was the first guy I saw, he just was dressed all in leather, no shirt, leather gloves. And he talked about let the care and maintenance of leather. But there was obviously a sexual undertone that I did not get at all. He, and it was no jokes at all. It was kind of funny, though, because it was so weird. Then there was a guy who it was his first gig and, he, you know, he was so nervous. And then somebody else, you know, he was just really buried as well. And but very much like they were all very self-conscious. Um, and then nobody was laughing because they were all too much thinking about their own material. Yeah, I suppose that's it. about the thing about open mics as well. You've got, I suppose, complete beginners and people that have kind of been on the circuit maybe for for a couple oh, of yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. So when I did my first mic, I was a complete beginner, and I remember thinking everyone else must be complete beginners, but some of them were amazing. And then they were like, "Yeah, I've been doing comedy five years." I was like, "What? Oh. <laughs> I do that as well. You know, I have to test out new material. I'm not going to go." on the street and start shouting out jokes <laughs> that's the thing where do you go to do you, do you test it out on your other half or how do you how do you test out new material so the best best test is to 
if something slips in during your set, that's good. You can also go to open mics. So the hey, Penny, like maybe maybe I could do a bit new new material in the crackdown or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, not get paid. My rule of thumb is if I'm getting paid properly, I'll do I'll do old gold because you know they expect to work. Yeah, much you can do new material. And then I have mates who are comedians that I will be okay. We'll meet up and we'll do like an hour each. And so I'll be like, I'm doing this bit and this bit. What do you think of this bit? Mm. And we'll do stuff to each other. And then sometimes even in just talking about it, it gets better. I'm also on an online group of comedians mm. that are materialized to each other. So that would be really how I do it. It's either open mic or working with other people. And then what sometimes happens is if I'm watching somebody who I'm mates with and I see something that they could put into their set, I'll write it down for them or the likes and vice versa. They'll do that for me. Yeah, I suppose. Then you can tweak it for the next next time you do it. You can tweak bits and... Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, any advice, anyone out there that's that's listening and thinking that they'd love to try it but they're they're feeling a bit scared uh what kind of advice would you give after you know having been through it yourself okay um let me see so it depends do you want to try it yeah I think everybody should try it it's like they say everybody has a book in them I think everybody could do stand-up because it's not magic you know there's certain things that you can be taught now that I mean that doesn't make for amazing stand-up but it makes for a start like there used to be this comedy course in Dublin I don't know if it's still going on might do and it's a really good way to start yourself yeah. off a comedy course but you could tell straight away the people that did this course because they would always have a joke about their appearance first which is really good by the way I still do jokes about my appearance and they all they make people feel at ease they make you self-deprecating you know they're like okay she's aware of what she's like and then they would do a joke about their name. So often they'd say you ha- they'd have a double barrel name and then they'd have a joke about that. I'm like, you're barreling it up for the joke, but I get it. Then they'd have a joke about where they're from. Then they'd have a joke about their job. <laughs> then they'd do a joke about their family. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, it starts you off. It starts you off. So I think comedy courses aren't too bad of an idea. Mm. Um, What else could you say? I would say do, do the, com- like when I started comedy, I was really weird and I liked Maria Banford and I liked David O'Doherty and Maeve Higgins. And then I started to mold my comedy to very conventional comedy, almost like, you know, really mainstream. And it served me in clubs and getting money, but it didn't serve me to grow as an artist. Mm. So I would say stay true to your roots. You know, don't start writing stuff because you think the audience will like it. Write stuff because you like it or your friends like it or the people that you respect like it um what else yeah and then female if you're a female comedian remember that half the people are women you know but most comedians are men so you could be doing a really good gig or you could have a really good funny thing but then a male comedian is like oh i don't get it and i'm like okay so women have some female comedian friends that you can work with or that you can bounce off because you need that because it's a very masculine world Mm, yeah but again, I was writing jokes that were making the men laugh. And that's not my aim. And they were making male comedians laugh. So even worse, <laughs> you know, male comedians and female comedians have a bit of a sick sense of humor. So you can't just be making them laugh. And what else would I say? Um, yeah, work with other comedians, talk to other comedians, um, the likes of that. And be patient. If you want to be in it, it's a long game. You know, mm. you won't 
very few. Some people get really professional, really fast, really quickly. Um, if they're exceptionally good or they're very fashionable at the moment, but most people don't. And don't let that dishearten you. If you're passionate about it, keep going. And if you're not passionate about it, don't force yourself to be either. Yeah. I mean, how do you find your your niche stroke style? I mean, you know, I suppose, you know, you're a storyteller or you're a one-liner. One -liner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how do does you... that, how do you, how did you kind of know what, what kind of oh, well it's what I liked I didn't like I don't particularly like one-liners now I know I appreciate them now as you know like a fine wine it's grown on me or <laughs> you know a blue cheese it's a acquired taste but I wouldn't have been into them I wouldn't be thinking about them that kind of thing I did musical comedy when I started off because that's what I've liked mm. I've recently started doing that again I did it again last week and it went pretty good it was all right but I wrote another song there. I hadn't written a comedy song in ages. So it's, it do you you tend to just do what you like. What you think is comedy is what you like. You know, so I think that's what most people do. They they they're more influenced by the people that they like than they realize. Mm. Last night I was watching a comedian and he's good. Um there was a pro new material night on in London and but he was so like Dylan Moran. I was like, wow, he really has some of the inflections and not bad, not in a bad way, because there's a younger generation who don't even know who Dylan Moore yeah, is. Yeah. They're just like, who's this cool guy? Um, some of the inflections, some of his way of being. He works in a bookshop, you know, he had the hair. And I, he, I don't think he was doing it on purpose, but mm. I just think he loves Dylan Moore and so much that that's for him is comedy. So he's he's taken it in, he's absorbed it like <laughs> and still different and maybe not me. I mean, there was a lot of guys who would be so like Tommy Tiernan when I started. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have all that kind of drama and inflection. And again, it's not deliberate. So I wouldn't say copy people, but you'll end up being influenced by people anyway. Yeah. I mean, would you use anything like social media? I mean, like TikTok, for example, at the moment is just you know, crazy, ridiculous. I mean, would you, do you, are you a fan of social media for your for your craft? Yeah, I am. I used to test jokes out a lot. I used to put out a joke nearly every day on Facebook and Instagram. But in recent while, I stopped because I was noticed a few people had used my jokes. Now, whether they did it deliberately or not, I don't know. And so then I started putting my name on my jokes when I put them up. You know, if I got a lot of likes, I might try it on stage. But I just, it's. I just thought, okay, is it worth it? Because I have gotten mm -hmm. some gigs. People going, oh, really? You're hilarious on Instagram. Will you do my gig? But your jokes are your 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 calling cards. So I've had a few people take my jokes, and whether they, some of them might have been by accident, but you know they could have read them and just absorbed them accidentally and spits taking them out, or else they might think, oh, you know, I I you know I don't know, but some of them were uncannily like word the same and stuff so I've stopped I've started protecting it yeah mm. I would like to go on social media more um I'm always saying that I will but I'm always like yeah when I lose 10 pounds then I'll do it <laughs> it's a real yeah. minefield though isn't it Twitter yeah. especially yeah when I lose 10 pounds I'll do it I'll do TikTok like all those cool kids yeah yeah so watch this space um I've lost four pounds, six to go. So that's that's going to be the TikTok countdown. <laughs> I mean, I love the, the stuff I've seen of you on YouTube in your, your cat suit. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I just, yeah, I do put up a few clips of me and that's really for bookers 
to send to bookers so that they can get me so I can get gigs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's pretty, that's pretty brave. I would definitely something I, I couldn't do. What? Go on stage in a cat suit. <laughs> Thank you. Um I thought I looked good, but brave as you did. You, you looked amazing. <laughs> you. A lot of us couldn't pull that off. <laughs> um I do well my my agent told me I couldn't really pull it off. Um so I stopped wearing it. <laughs> But anyway, there you go. Um, yeah, so so that's it. It kind of shows that you don't really care, and it's kind of fun as well. Yeah, it's one of those. It's a very visual thing as well, though, isn't it? You know, you can't that, yeah. you've got that visual aspect, I suppose, alongside the the, the very animated yeah. aspect of what you do. Yeah, I like that. I like high energy. I like comedians like Tiffany Haddish. You know, a lot of the American women that are just really bubbly. Um, I mean, I like the droll ladies as well, but I do, like Sarah Silverman. But mm. I, I, I like, and I like Adrienne Rivers. She's very high energy, even into her eighties. She was high energy. Yeah, yeah. That's where I lean towards naturally. One of these cool girl comics. Yes, you know. yes. I mean, there's so many. Like you, you know, Joe Brand. I was watching Friday Night Live yeah. uh, recently. Is back again. Um, and Joe Brand is, you know, Joe Joe Brand is Joe Brand, and doing still killing, doing what she does. You know. So good. Yeah so good that just slow paced deadpan yeah she's amazing so that's it there's a style and a voice for everyone I, do, I don't think people would deliberately look for a voice but um yeah I mean I, yeah I suppose that's the thing about going to an open mic you see someone you like them do you know what I mean you say yeah. oh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll definitely go and see them again if I see they're in my area or in, in my town again I'll definitely go and see them I'll take some friends with me and you know the whole word of mouth thing must be great for for stand-ups as well it is yeah definitely um yeah it's word of mouth and I suppose then if you're a club comedian you're just getting booked for the clubs lately there's been a few people coming to see me but I wouldn't be like a loads you know there might be two or three people that well oh, no, we can see you so it'll be interesting um how that progresses yeah I need to do something on social media to bump it up because the people who are successful the people who get signed to the really good agents are great on social media so that is the future. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know you're definitely getting a lot more. I, I've seen a lot more kind of ex- exposure. Maybe is the wrong word, wrong word to use for you. <laughs> but I'm definitely. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm hearing a lot, hearing your name a lot more on the circuit these days. And like Kev, Kevin Gildee is a good friend. Uh, Kevin is lovely. Kevin. Kevin's amazing. Yeah, he's a great guy. Everyone loves Kevin. It's funny whenever I in a photo with him or something, people are like, oh my God, even people from England, like Kevin is amazing. Like he's magic. People just love him. Yeah, they really do. I did a gig with him last week in WeWork and it was great crack. He was very good. I liked his sausage routine. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> you know, because he'd done the gig quite recently. He was a bit like, oh God, I really have to go and get the old gold out. And he did. It was excellent. Yeah. No, we were, we were at the Ivy Gardens, uh, well, a couple of months ago now. And it's crazy. Literally, he just, he walked out and like, literally everyone in the whole festival knew, was like, oh, all right, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. He knows everybody. Exactly. He really does. She's one of the founding fathers of Irish stand He is indeed. He? he is indeed. So let's talk a little bit about music now. Have there been any kind of big music loves in your life? Has there been anybody, any kind of bands or singers that you've kind of, you've loved over the years? Oh, yeah. I was mad into music. I've always been really mad into music. Um, I loved singing. I was 
all one of those annoying kids that were always singing. And then I fancied myself as an opera singer when I was young. I would just go around like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> really annoying. Um, my mother would be like, just go outside. <laughs> I really lived out the country so I could do that in a field and nobody would be hurt but the crows. And yeah, so I always really liked music. Um, I really got into, who did I love first? Like passionate about the Stone Roses, then the Beatles, Oasis. I got into the 60s music a lot when I was fashionable in the 90s. Um, you know, I got into like classic 60s and 70s music, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, mm. The Doors. I was crazy into The Doors. So I was a bit of a weird teenager, like in an all-girls secondary school. They didn't, they hated all this music. I love rock and roll, I love Elvis. Um, just, yeah, anything like that. Like I had, I used to get records and then my mother, I had a great record collection and my mother threw them all out because she thought they were hers. And she's like, who needs them anymore? I was only thinking about it yesterday. I've never said it to her because it's her house. But I still am upset. All those amazing records. <laughs> held, um, that, held that grudge. Yeah, so I play, I play guitar and I play the whistle. And I used to do the choirs and stuff. Wow. School. Yeah, I don't do that. But I've, I've started doing musical comedy again. So watch this space. Enjoy. And that might be easier to video as well because there's something between me and the camera. It's just not like me. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so, I mean, who were, the, who were the posters on the on the bedroom wall as a kid? Um, I had Oasis everywhere. Yeah. And then that was the only ones that I had maybe Strokes was my last poster. I remember buying a Strokes poster when I was about 20. Um and thinking I'm a bit too old to be buying a poster. Like I should be buying. <laughs> I can literally remember that when I was like, mm, this is probably the last poster I'll buy. You know, Julian Casablanca or whatever his name was. This yeah. band. And so I didn't. I used to have um Lichten, Roy Lichtenstein posters mm. and art things and things I'd made myself. You know, like, like all this kind of a clear. I was a real indie kid in in new school and college. Um really indie and kind of I suppose it was pre-hipster is what it was we used to call ourselves indie but we were we were hipsters so I am and I'm still a hipster and everyone goes no you're not you're not like it was a disease I'm like I know what I am (laughs) and the fact that they deny it so much it's like well what am I then and then they're like oh you're kind of a librarian I'm like oh Oh my god (laughs) yeah so we'll see watch this space but everything is hipstery now you know even politicians have hipster beards. It's hipster is nothing anymore. It's like that line in With Neil and I. They're even selling um dreadlock wigs and Marks and Spencers or something like that. <laughs> Everything's retro now, isn't it? It's all about nostalgia. It's yeah. all but it's always been because even in the eighties it was kind of nostalgia to the fifties. In the nineties we went back to the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a con I mean in Victorian times they were mad into the Tudor times. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they'd have all this tutory stuff, like, oh, isn't that so quirky? <laughs> and I don't know what they were into the Tudor times, probably caves. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, even going into like pennies now. You see that, you know, like the baseball jackets and the Winnie the Pooh jumpers and stuff. And you're like, oh my God, that was that was like the 80s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. The 80s. And it's, it's yeah. all come back round again. There's no original. No, there doesn't seem to be original clothing ideas anymore. No, no. What will we do um, in the future? So yeah, it's all the yeah the cuts. I it's tight jeans or what what you call it skinny jeans are so out now, and you have to have the boyfriend jeans. 
but um, I better get some boyfriend jeans. <laughs> the whole ripped jeans thing. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people with the ripped jeans, you're kind of like, you're not even wearing jeans. It's just, no, it's just no, I don't Yeah, I don't like them. But I, I, then I know saying I don't like them makes me so old. <laughs> I should be like, oh, they're gorgeous. <laughs> I think you just get to a certain age, don't you? You're like, nah. <laughs> yeah, you just go, I can't be arsed anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to get styled by a teenager though. I'd love to get a make oh, make me. Oh my god. Yeah, I would and see what they'd put on me. Um yeah, that would be interesting. I did have this, I did subscribe to this service where they styled you and they'd send you a box of clothes every month and then you'd take the ones you liked and put away the they sent back the ones you didn't and you get a discount. And they were they were they were nice, but it was so expensive and it, it all kind of made me look like like kind of like I was like Angela Merkel basically like, <laughs> like they were very flattering but it was like you know another shoulder pad of great I have specific taste in clothes but I don't have good taste in clothes so I could do it sprucing myself up a bit sometimes I see photos of myself I'm like what the fuck are you wearing at least a cat <laughs> had to put on the one thing it was great you know bring back the cat suit i say oh yeah it was streamlined in photos and the lights was black yeah <laughs> yeah maybe i will i've got three of them i've got three of them i've still i was looking at them a few days ago going they've got three cat suits i should start wearing these again you, you really know? Did, yeah <laughs> but my main joke was like you know i just got covid you know i've lost my sense of smell and my sense of taste and i showed the cat suit so it's a bit old now isn't it <laughs> Well, after Christmas, as I said, we're all going to be, uh, you know. Okay, good. I'm glad because I need to. I invested in those cat suits. They were re- revisit the cat suit after yeah. after Christmas once yeah. once we've had COVID again. Um, so I mean, live gigs. Were you much of a gig goer? I'm assuming you can't really do very much now. You're uh, no, it's such a pity. I can't do that much now. And I used to go to the theatre all the time and go to lots of gigs. I love. I still love. Um, there's a great. If I can, after a gig, there's a session up in Grace's pub. Um, in Rathmines, Dublin, on a Friday, and I sang at that the last few few weeks ago, the week before, um, and I went to see John Denver there, um, and Monday supported him. That was a gig wow. I went to recently. What else did I go to? And I've been to a few theatre shows recently mm-hmm. as well. I tried to, but I used like I used to go all the time, and now it's like so rare. Yeah, <laughs> where the gigs are on and everyone's going to the gig when you're on. Me and my sister are going to see Joni Mitchell in July. Oh man, that'll be amazing. And I want to see My Fair Lady. I know it's not music gig essentially, but it's a musical. I saw mm. that recently too. So, but going up, yeah, growing up, I used to love going to festivals like Slain and Witness or whatever they called it after that. <laughs> yeah, Oxygen. Yeah, yeah, Oxygen. Yeah. And then I kind of, what else did I go to? Yeah, no, I loved all of that. Um, I loved, um, I used to get, I was very into country music, so I'd go and see people like, you know, Americana. So a lot of Americana artists, I used to see them like, you know, 10 years ago. Mm. But um, that's really dropped off. But uh, yeah, I love, I love it. And I enjoyed Don Denver a lot when I saw him. He was, he was 74 and he sang, he's had two really good songs like Vincent and then Bye Bye Miss American Pie. But then he did, he did some of his own songs. Yeah, yeah. At the start, we're like, mm, not really liking this John. And then he went and did like just Elvis songs, Johnny Cash songs. And we were like, well, that was good. You know, <laughs> he knew his crowd. Yeah. I mean, growing up, growing up in Kilkenny must have uh, influenced your music 
what you were li- what you were listening to as well. I'm I'm guessing. Why? Um, I don't think so. Kilkenny isn't particularly strong musically. Um, I would have thought there'd be a lot more sort of a country. I don't know. I don't know whether it's. Just, I know what you mean. It's, it's not just the it's vision be, we get yeah, yeah, here, here in Dublin. Like or... <laughs> wouldn't be like there or like Galway places like that where traditional music was very strong but I would have played traditional music yeah as a kid and my dad encouraged that and we would have sang in pubs and played a bit of music but not really as much as other parts of Ireland like the west of Ireland um I mean they do have the Rhythm and Roots Festival on now in Kilkenny which is kind of a country in Americana festival so that might be what you're thinking about um but the comedy I was influenced in Kilkenny the music probably when I got to college and I got different places. Now, they still used to sometimes have good gigs in Kilkenny, but it wouldn't be as good as other places. Mm. Sorry, Kilkenny. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, I love walking around Kilkenny during the cat laughs. It's, yeah, it's great. It's, the atmosphere is just incredible. It's basically like one street. Isn't it? <laughs> one yeah, street. it is. Yeah, one street and then another street, but it's the same street. They're fooling nobody. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. There's another secret street that we don't show the Cats Laugh people called John Street and um, that's full of drunk people and stag parties. <laughs> don't worry about that. That's not for you. That's not for the nice people who go to the Cats Laugh. <laughs> you make money out of the, Dublin. You've got, you got the castle as well, I suppose, where people think I used to work there. Yeah. Really? Nice to tour guide there. I know. I know. Imagine. That's also where I got a bit of my comedy chops because I'd make up jokes and be a bit funny in front of the, the guests. I suppose so I could kind of and that was great because you had to improvise a lot of it because if there was loads of tours in and somebody was held up in one room and somebody was held up in another room you'd have to be like oh this wallpaper and talk about <laughs> nothing really nothing like and, and look out the window you know <laughs> so that was good for thinking on your toes being a tour guide yeah so many strings to your bow Adrian that we, that we didn't know about there you go we're, we're educating uh, we're educating people today Mm-hmm. so thank you so much for giving me your time today and, uh, and, and chatting it's, it's, it's lovely to chat to you thank you so much 